Wow. <laughs> so much emotion is coming back. Memories. Blessed memories of being able to be a part of this church for so many years. Shared last week with the kids just so they would know that their time back there is not just fun and games or a break from boring preaching. But at nine years old, showed up with my mom and my brother and have been here ever since is truly the grace of God and I let them know I said kids I sat right where you are it wasn't exactly where they are they didn't quite catch that one of the kids did this room look like it when you were nine a little different it was probably somewhere in the parking lot Right over there. Um, But I got to hear the gospel in children's church. From a lady who served faithfully for years. To love on children. And to share the gospel. And our experience was. uh, My folks had separated several months before we found Lakeview. And God really plopped in my mom's lap to come here through a series of relationships. And what the the church became for me was really a family. I got to I got to love being here because of the love I was receiving from being here. And so many of you so many of you Remember that when I came in with hair just a little longer on the top than what I have now? I had a little flat top, big glasses, big gap in my teeth that I've successfully passed on to all my children. So if you wonder where they got it, that's from me. But how wonderful. To experience the family in a way that made me want to come back and made me want to be here and made me want to, you know, and my sweet mother, who's the one and only Jane Earhart. It's fun. Some of you don't know that she was my mom and different circumstances, even somebody just discovering Friday night, and somebody who believes in covenant group with my mother didn't understand that she was my mom. (laughs) Jane Chef's mom? Somebody was over at our house and asked Katie, who's that lady and why is she always here when I come over? (laughs) But bless her heart, there wasn't a lot of training with parenting late 80s, early 90s. So I think all my mom just said, if I, just, if I, need, to get, I need to get my boys in church, if I just get them around church, maybe they'll like it. And that worked. Because I love the church. We were here all the time. Mother began... Singing in the choir, so I would come with her on Wednesday nights, do my homework in the back. But I just loved being at church. I, I, as a a young boy, couldn't wait for the Sunday evening service. Couldn't wait just to go back to church, not necessarily to go to a class, but just to, to be together. And to enjoy being together because it was so much fun. Never, I grew up, till that point, despising anything to do with sitting through a church service. Would look for every excuse to get out of just sitting an hour listening to something. Later on, my grandmother, because we'd poke at my grandmother, lives over in Bucktown. Hey, Mama, can you bring us to can you bring us to church as an activity, or can you bring us in the morning and we're going to stay there? And she looked at us one time. She said, "You know what? Y'all used to kick and scream about going to church an hour with me. Now you go to two hours and you're excited to go." 
I said, yeah, we really are. But this morning, as we talk about what, what I believe just the passion that's been stirring in me, for the church to be family with one another. Because I, I believe much comes from my own experience of, of just enjoying being a part of the family here at Lakeview Christian Center. But also, it's my burden now to see that we would fulfill being a family at Lakeview Christian Center as we grow, as we add numbers, as people come to visit. And they, they feel like a lot of us felt first time we came, where we just knew this is where we're supposed to be. It just it fits. Something in our soul just identifies and it fits. This is where we're supposed to be. But also in having the privilege with working with the, uh, the youth and the children and the families of the church. Just an overwhelming burden in my soul. For us to not simply have the good burden to have our kids in church. And if they're in church, then I think it's the, the proverb that Oh, if we train our child in the way he should go, even when he's old, he won't depart from it. So if I just, in the, in the truth and in the Bible, church, and then we want to go beyond that. We want to hold to that truth, yes, but also go beyond that to capture the hearts of our kids. But I think in doing that, as we're to experience church as family, I believe there's an aspect where we need to be capturing the hearts of one another. Capturing the hearts of one another in such a way that calls us to want to come back calls us to want to experience life as a family. But you know, we all have family backgrounds and family baggage, don't we? You know, probably can identify with a few TV show families, right? And the list I'm going to give you is, these aren't endorsements to go back and watch these, but I think what TV has been able to do is capture a little essence of what family life is, even today, but also media, I don't know if they really fully understand how they now influence how family is ought to look by what they show on TV, because you've got young parents who say, I have no idea what it's supposed to look like, so let me watch TV to find something out, or it's just absorbed by watching all those things, but maybe you had the Leave It to Beaver house, maybe y'all had that? Plastic smiles. <laughs> Not really going down to the deep things. How about the Brady Bunch? Just always, always can identify with the Brady Bunch, right? They really had every aspect of family life. Because we all had maids, right? Live-in maids <laughs> that cooked and cleaned, right? Or what about the Cosby Show? For those in the... Remember the show from the 80s? Or... Possibly the Partridge family. Okay, then y'all were singers and just sang all the time together. <laughs> little redhead caboose in the family. Or maybe the the father knows best. Or probably the reality version, father demands best. Or father is absent at best. That's where we start to get the reality. But some of you probably had a soap opera kind of family and you resemble the family from Dallas. You remember that show? There were some weird people in that show. But today we have shows like Two and a Half Men that are showing people what family is supposed to look like and be. Or sadly, desperate housewives. But what we can do, if we are not careful, we can allow our experience of what we experienced in our own family background. We come into the church and we, we begin to look around the church and, and experience, we're trying to experience this as a family. But the background that we have is that we were never intentional about being a family. And so if there's never an intention about being a family, we're just going to pull in our bad baggage and our bad stuff and then... We're really, in essence, what we find these families that TV depicts is that simply they are living their own lives their own way. They just happen to live in the same house. I think the church can reflect that oftentimes where we are pursuing our own thing, doing our own thing and having our own ways, but we just happen to go to the same church on Sundays now. 
What is God's design and plan for us? If you wouldn't mind, turn open to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, we're going to read from verse 11 to verse 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you, who were far off, and he pre- preached and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Lord, we... We ask for your Spirit's illumination... This morning. God, would we please, could you just let us in into your thoughts and your thinking, your heart for your people, your family. We need to hear from our Father this morning. So Lord, would you, would you grace us with understanding? Would you grace us with truth affecting our hearts and our souls and bring about a fruitfulness that glorifies you and make us more of a family than ever through your Son. Amen. Well, let's start with what we find in these passages with a foundation of the family. I believe the foundation that we are to be as a family with God as he's planning it is that there is a core, there is a core of a reconciliation through Christ. And we find this even in the beginning of chapter 2 of Ephesians where we find that we are dead in our trespasses, in our sins. We are dead, we are unable, incapable, unwilling to help ourselves get out of that deadness due to sin and our own trespasses, doing what we want, living the way that we want. But God comes in. He's the one that reaches in. He's the one that comes and makes us alive, raises us. And then we find in the beginning of chapter 2, seats us with Christ. God does that. So what is in the foundation of this family that God's putting together is that we have a change in our position with God. We have a change in where He's the one that comes. He affects the change. He wins over our hearts. He wins over our hearts that are black with sin, that are unwilling and unable to respond to Him. Comes and melts that heart, that heart of stone, and makes us alive. And when He does that, He he takes us when we were once far off, now brings us near all through Christ, and He says, I have something for you to do. Find that even in verse 10, where verse 8, it starts where Paul says, we've been saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. So no one may boast. But now he's created you, 
You are his workmanship. He has called you to himself, reconciled, redeemed you through Christ, bought you back, made you alive, that you would go and bear fruit in good works. But then we find in in this latter verses within chapter 2 that that's specifically in the household of God. So one, we have a change in our position with God, but also we discover in this passage that we have a change in our position with one another. See, when Paul uses this uncircumcision, you Gentiles who were far off, you were the uncircumcised, and now by the so-called circumcision Israel, do you know what he's doing? He is flipping out the race card. He's saying, look, y'all hate one another. That's right. And he describes that as a wall of hostility. But in actuality, there was a physical, in the temple, there was a physical wall between the Gentiles, those who were uh, um, God-fearers from the Gentiles that would come and were able to be around the temple but were never allowed into the court, that the, the area of the temple that Israel was always allowed, the Jews were always allowed to be. And it actually was five steps lower than where Israel was permitted. And there was a wall there. So Paul is bringing that thought back into memory, that thought to say, remember, listen, you were far off. There's the Holy of Holies. You can't even go near it, can't even dream of going in there. You can't, even in the most holy place where Israel can go and offer sacrifices, you are not even allowed in there. But now Christ has come. But he's telling that to the Gentiles as well as to Israel. Israel, don't prevent them from coming anymore. Why? Because there's a change in position that you have with one another. No longer that, that Jesus, through Christ, in taking down that wall of hostility in his own flesh, dying on the cross, he does away with it, in essence, brings those two levels to one level, creating a new man, a new society. Not Jew, not Gentile, but now I believe it would be Christian, where we all have the same access to the Father. If He has changed our position with Him, now we all have. And that's if we are genuinely converted, if we realize that we have, we have sinned against a holy and right and righteous God. And we bear, in the beginning of chapter 2, it says we were children of wrath. We bear that apart from Christ, but Christ has come. God sent His Son to bear the penalty of our sin that we would now be able to join together in our experience of His grace and of His love. He changes our position with Him. He changes our position with one another. There's, uh, there's an aspect that we now are. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but are now fellow citizens together. But in our minds, in our church, I believe there is to be we would say that there's to be a relating with one another that, that there is no division. There is no lower or wall of hostility because you know what? The reality is we can throw up those walls real quick. But God has saved us, raised us, made us alive, seated us with Christ. And now he calls us to come together And be a family with that expression being in the local church. That expression being right now. With Jesus, we find Jesus being the cornerstone. So we gather, as Lakeview Christian Center, we gather with Jesus as our foundation. He is the cornerstone. But on the basis of the gospel... There's no superior wisdom. There's no superior gifting. There's no superior anything. We all were dead in our trespasses and sins. God comes and makes us alive and he plants us. And he says, here, this is your family. And experience that family. So we come together as a household. And we come together for fellowship. We come together to serve the church and be served by the church. Now, that be served by the church can have very selfish connotations with it. But I believe there, because we can respond in two ways. We, in our pride, we don't want to be served by the church. Because we feel, oh, that makes me weak. And I don't want to appear weak. And so I can't. No, really, I have everything under control. Everything's fine. It's really not. It stinks. My life's horrible. And I don't know what's going to, I don't know where I'm going to go next. Really, it's fine. Really, I thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Really, thank you for your prayers. 
But we also need to make sure that we're not just in the church to say, look, serve me. I have needs. And my needs run deep and they're far back in my memory. So please, but if we will seek to serve those needs, but make sure you're on the other side saying, how can I serve? How can I serve? Jesus is the cornerstone. We come together for the gospel. The things that we experience around that are because of the foundation of Jesus. We are to be in close proximity with one another, not just physically, but spiritually. We are to know what's going on and what's happening in one another's lives. And we can look next, the function of the family. We have that... We have the foundation being reconciliation through Christ. Now we have the function of our family life is to be relationships that are being refined by love. God has saved us. He's placed us in the community of the church to experience the fullness of the reality of the gospel itself. He's placed us in his family by his love. And now I believe that he wants us to live out that expression of his love by loving one another. Receiving and understanding and growing in our understanding and our knowledge of what Jesus has done for us and the love that was expressed in the cross in Romans 5, 8, where it says God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. His love was demonstrated. We get to be together and wonder and glory in, in, in looking at the picture of the work of the cross and going deeper and deeper and finding nuances and other little things and more colors being added to hold that work. We are growing together in close proximity and seeing that and now able to express that with one another by the way we love one another. But God is also... He's also wanting to sanctify us. He's also wanting to make us holy like Christ, to be a pure reflection of the love with which he came to save us and redeem us and put us in his family. He says, now I want you to be refined by that love. I want that love, you to experience that love in such a way that it begins to break off the sin around your heart and around your life and sin patterns begin to break off and now there's a newness of life because we are to... We are to be defined by God, by Christ, and we are to be defined by Him as we experience life in Him and through Him. It becomes our experience. We, we want to follow Christ, want to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Christ. But in by doing that, we're identifying with Christ. And like Keith said last week, we, where we want to seek identification with things that we hold so tightly to, God's saying, no, find that identification in me, in my demonstration of love that you see in the cross. And in the the sanctifying effect and making us more like his son in, in, in more good works being displayed, he's giving us that refining of his love with one another. The way that we walk with one another is a refining process. And we know that because guess what? Some people in a church you just don't like. Some people in a church just rub you the wrong way. Some people you just rather just not be in church with. Lord, please have that person here that they're released from Lakeview and they can go to church someplace else. <laughs> We'd love to pray that, wouldn't we? Maybe you have. We're in a family. To be refined by love. In those, those walking together moments, God has sovereignly chosen to refine you. So you can see the cross and then resemble the cross as you live life with one another. John Stott said, our relationships have been transformed by the cross. Are you experiencing the transformation of relationships? Or is there still baggage to where there, there's an aspect that you are, you're experiencing family life in a church the same way that you've experienced the sinful family life and self-centered family life that was a part of your life and maybe still be outside of the church? Is God using people around you? Are you 
Are you leaning forward to being refined by people in your midst? See, because in a family, life in a family, it's inevitable that weaknesses and sin are going to be exposed. How do you respond to sin? See, I'll give you the scenario. In a covenant group setting, or maybe in a conversation with somebody, you hear that so-and-so has sinned. What's your response? Because other people are watching your response. What they're watching is to say, if I sin, can I come to you? If your response is, I just can't believe, can you believe that? Oh, I just, I just can't believe that. You know what you've just done in that moment? You've told somebody who's watching you, if I sin and I mess up, can I come to you? You've just told them, I can't go to you. Because that's not love. But if there's a brokenness and humility to say, you know what? Though there is sin right there, in my book, I'm the chief of sinners. Not because I can, I, I can outdo anybody else in sin. It's because I see a great and holy God and I've offended him. As another John Stott phrase is, we've, crea- we've committed cosmic treason. The one who created us to love us and for us to love him back. We have looked at him and said, not your way. I'd like to do it my way. Cosmic treason. How do we respond to sin? How do we respond when sin happens in our homes, when sin happens in our life? Last night at the table, speaking with the youth and the parents, I I had a word to the parents and I had a word to the youth and I will give you the same word because those were the same. It would be this. Please, please, please don't Freak out when you sin. Because a freak out looks different. For parents, freak out looks, Oh no! Our world is crashing to the ground and what will we do? You know, for the sinner, you know what freak out looks like? I'm going to run and hide. And I'm not going to allow the family to be the family for me when I need the family the most. See, there is an aspect, and, and when we encounter sin, when we encounter weakness, we have to be a church that responds in humility, that responds with, with tears, that responds saying, please come to me. Please go to somebody. But we get all wrapped up into the guilt and the shame and, and the guilt and shame actually tries to... And then we, we, we try to figure out, well, I'm just going to try to ignore this and hopefully God will ignore it if I ignore it. And then if, if God's ignoring it, then I really have to deal with it in the church because and, and, that would be really bad for me. You're believing a lie if that's the case. Please, let us not freak out when sin is exposed or weaknesses are encountered. But let's respond biblically. Let's respond with Jesus as our cornerstone, that when we sinned against him, before we even asked him, he died for us, laying down his life so we could have that life. But when in a family we have opportunities to, uh, for sin and weaknesses to be exposed, we need to be able in that moment be a church that's able to quickly apply the gospel to those opportunities. Knowing the gospel and applying the gospel to those not... And look, the, the greatest counseling you can do across the board in your life is this. Whatever comes across you, whatever somebody shares is this. Jesus died for your sins. You don't have to have all the scriptures and all the... I'm with you. I will pray with you. I will cry with you. And I'll be a constant reminder of the truth that Jesus died to give you life. He died for your sins. He took your shame upon himself so you wouldn't have to bear it with the people of God. Is there shame in sin? Of course there is. We don't want to mess up. And we live life going, God, I want to be right. I don't want to do something wrong. But we have bodies of sin that we're going to find eventually that we're going to be doing something wrong. Let us be the family, go to one another, and respond biblically and appropriately. In a family, no one gets to hide, right? 
there really is no home alone experience in a family where everybody runs off and the kid is just left there. No one gets to hide in a family. You're always looking for somebody. You sit down to dinner and somebody's not in their chair. What are you doing? Well, we'll just proceed. No, no, no. Where's so-and-so? Where is he? Where is she? We called for dinner. No one gets to hide. Nobody gets to pout on the side. Nobody gets every... Even though we try and we try to convince ourselves that if we're insignificant and our families don't like us, so we're going to sit over here and just have a little pity party by ourselves, people are still noticing that you're there. You're not hiding. Even if you close the door, guess what? We know you're in the room because you closed the door. Nobody gets to hide. Nobody gets... Nobody gets away with being fake in a family, right? You have a family member that just is always boasting about something, some great achievement. What's your response? All right. Sure. Oh, yeah. This time it's really going to work. Yeah, I believe you. I really do. In the church, we need to be postured for nobody hiding, nobody being fake. We have a personal responsibility to not do that, but we also have a biblical responsibility for one another to not hide and not be fake with one another, but respond appropriately. We need to be a church where love runs deep and encouragement is prominent. Encouragement and support is prominent because that leads us next to the fruit of the family. We have a foundation in Christ. We have a function where we've been uh, refined in our relationships by love. And now we have a fruitfulness that we're looking toward, which I think would be defined as, as, this is not an exhaustive only fruit. I think this is just a very prominent one for us. Radical self-denial displayed to a dying world. Because of what Christ did for us. We want to deny ourselves. Self-denial is a lost art. Because even in our... We, we get all caught up in uh, how much we sacrifice, but really all we're looking for is a return. And if, if we're looking for a return by what we sacrifice, then it's really not... A, it's not biblical sacrifice. It's not self-denial. It's, no, I'll lay down my life if I get something in return. Well, I really want the return. I want the reward. I want the feeling that I get. We are... With the love that Christ has for us, we are now are, are to express that radical, selfless love that we see in the cross. We are to express that with one another. John thirteen thirty five says, By this will all men know that you are my disciples. What? If you have love for one another. We are now to lay down in that self-denial. We're to lay down our lives to serve, care, encourage, put others first, and love those that God calls us to be with in His family. Now, I, I have to commend so many of you for the way that this church steps up in times of need with families uh, that we have that would be outside of the church. And we experience this uh, with the death of a loved one. I love seeing the mobilization that occurs with the church, that whatever covenant group you're a part of, you're there and you're coordinating things, bringing meals, doing this, and every... But Oh, how many... You will hear this in heaven. But how often we could be able to just tell you how much people have come back and said, my family was so amazed at the love and care that the church gave us in that time of need. Uh, showing up at a funeral or a wake and everybody looking around, who are these people? <laughs> it's wonderful for us to be in the church and say, this is my church family. This is my church family. And they look at that and say, y'all are weird. <laughs> Food's good, but y'all are weird. It's intriguing though, as we are to be that peculiar people. There's to be a family connection that we have in the church. If we're going to lay down our lives, we need to have, I think, an evidence of that is in the family connection. And the primary avenue we have in this church, though there are many avenues to, to uh, seek, to serve, and, and experience life as a family, but our primary avenue is the covenant group ministry of this church, the small group ministry. To where we are, we're looking first to apply truth. We're not going to stare in a mirror and we want to... And, then walk away and forget what we look like from James. James uses that analogy. We want to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We don't want to be fake. 
When we come, acting like we're part of the family, hearing a word and then walking out, and nothing's evident in our lives about what we just heard. We want to be a family that's connected to one another, and that happens primarily through the covenant group setting. Please consider getting into a covenant group. Because what I've is just, it, uh, those relationships refined by love. We, you can come to church and be just so, so connected, but you will not experience what God has for you in being refined by the relationships that, and the experience of the love that we get to have as the people and family of God. There also is to be a family commitment. With the holidays coming up and Thanksgiving coming up, nobody wants to have a family member out of town. It, and you can see this as, uh, you can see this with parents, usually as they get older and then you have grandkids in the mix. The parents want everybody to be together. And, and it's, I watch this in uh, my mother-in-law and my mother, when, they, when the family is together, there's just such a joy that they experience. Just having everybody, not necessarily looking at one another, having a conversation, but just being in the same house, being, having the kids outside playing and they're there and it just feels wonderful. You could tell. We have a Father that's blessed us with this place. That we get to come and meet. And we get to experience His presence through the different activities that we have going on. The different ministry activities and opportunities to apply the gospel within this church. And it's as if God's holding a camera and He's calling for a family picture. And He wants you to show up to be in the picture. He wants you to show up. He, he wants you to... There is a... There's a grief on the pastoral team when we talk about who was not hearing a particular message. When we, because we we are, part of our hearing of a message is we are looking to serve you guys and looking to have you connect with the truth of God. And, oh, so-and-so, that was great. Did you see so-and-so? That was just pointed. I had a conversation with him or her just a few weeks ago and it was about exactly that. And we talk around, no, we don't think they were there. Now they're out of town. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to go out of town and take a vacation every once in a while, but there is a priority that we are to have a commitment to the family of God and to be here. Why? To experience all that God has for us in His family. And we're to be a growing family. We are to be a, a growing family numerically. We want to add to our numbers. We want people to enjoy the gospel like we enjoy the gospel and are, are able to do that. But we are to be a growing family spiritually. We, that, that we would have, I, I hope that we would strive as a church family to have a greenhouse for spiritual growth. That from the littlest baby on up through the entire church, everyone would be experiencing growth. Everyone would be experiencing a fresh revelation of the the person, character, love of God, the cross, seeing that revelation in the face of Christ. We are to be growing together. And we find in Ephesians 3, 10, that God's, God's doing something with us. Let's back up to verse 8 in chapter 3 of Ephesians. To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this is Paul still speaking, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You know what God's doing? God's using us to display His character. That word manifold there means multicolored. It means we are adding by the relationships, by the foundation that we have in Christ, and always going back to that cornerstone, by the the relationships that are being refined by love, by the fruit that we're experiencing through self-denial and serving and caring for one another and spiritual growth. God, with all of those, is taking His paintbrush and adding color to the tapestry of His character so all the heavens can see who He is which means that he has withheld an aspect of who he is from the angels themselves. 
And he's telling the angels, watch this. Watch this. And the angels are looking. And they're looking upon the church, the family of God. And as they see forgiveness take place. Ah. Another color. Never seen that color before. Never seen that circumstance. That circumstance. Come together. Wow. God, you are glorious. Oh, is God doing something so much greater? Yes. That we need to be connected to and committed to and growing within. Because God's using us to display himself to the beings that we can't even see. But we have an area of attack. We have an adversary. We have one that would come and seek to to nullify all works of grace and who God is to be in our lives. I I believe, I think there's an area... These aren't the only attacks. I think there's just the greatest area of attack for us corporately as well as personally. I think corporately our greatest area of attack is in division, divisiveness. Attacking the unity that God wants us to have as His people, as His children. We are His children if He has awakened us, made us alive, and seated us with Christ. And we have responded by faith and received the forgiveness that He has offered through the cross. We are saved, genuinely converted. We are now the children of God. And the enemy wants to say, no, you're not. He wants to throw his own paint onto that tapestry that God wants to paint and show everybody. But we also have a greatest area of personal attack, and I believe that's our pride. I think that pride shows itself in... These aren't the only ways, again. These are just, I believe, what the Lord would want us to consider today about how we are a part of the family here at Lakeview Christian Center. The pride that's afraid to be vulnerable. A pride that's afraid to open up and let people see who you really are. And, you know, that might be from a personal experience within your family. There was no love expression, and when there was, it was mocked. And so that is just, you've learned, I'm just closing in, I'll be right here, I'll be fine. I've learned to cope all this time, so I'll be fine now. But there's also a lack, uh, maybe you've been in another church environment to where you, you were vulnerable. And you let people in, and they gossiped about you. And you confided in somebody, and, they, and you thought this was a true, genuine friendship, and they turned their back on you and said, sayonara, see you later. All those experiences, though real, should not prevent us from being open, honest, vulnerable, exposing our weaknesses and saying, I need help because there's an area of our pride that says I don't need any help I got everything you're the Bible answer man you got all the answers but inside you haven't let anybody in to what's going on in your heart and soul we, we are to be it's our pride that we believe the fear of being vulnerable and I think we also have a pride in that we don't forgive and you know what? When, when there is division and there is fear and there is unforgiveness reigning, walls of hostility are being built up. Every time we see somebody, we're adding a brick in the mortar and sticking it on that wall. I can't believe you did that to me. Uh, I, know, I, I know God forgives him. I can't. Sticking another brick on that. Next thing you know, now you feel, I feel like so much is damaged, I can't do anything now. No, you've just built a wall up, convinced yourself that you're right. Unforgiveness will eat us alive. Chew us up and spit us out and eat us again. We must, must be a people. We have, think about it, we have experienced... We have experienced the forgiveness of God Himself. That's our motivation to forgive those that have offended us and sinned against us and wronged us and lied to us. May we be a forgiving family because Christ died to abolish all of those walls, to tear them down, that there would be no wall of hostility or bitterness or jealousy or envy or unforgiveness. But we would be a family truly wanting the best for one another. 
Which brings us to the future of the church. But in the future of the church, there's, there's to be a readiness that we have with the gospel. We find this in Ephesians 6. There's a readiness that we're to have, and it's with the gospel. Like I said before, there's, there should be a readiness in us to, pr- to apply the gospel to people's circumstances, whatever their circumstances may be. Even if they're saying the gospel's not... I don't, I don't need to hear that Jesus died for me right now. No, 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 that's exactly what you need to hear. <laughs> All the time. Even when we're doing well, we still need to hear that. But there's to be a readiness with the gospel that we look across the church and say, who can I be an example to? Who can I stir on to love and good deeds? Who can I demonstrate Christ to? And it is our hope that this would be a church for all ages. I mean that in two ways. The first one is this, that every age has a voice and a place in this church that seniors have an age, they have a voice. Their age has a voice of wisdom and the gospel in our church. That singles have a home here. That they have a family that they know this is my church family that I can depend on and be vulnerable with and share weaknesses with. They have a place that, that marriages have a support in this church. That parenting receives fresh encouragement and fresh faith. For the joyful task of training up their children in the faith. That youth would be able to look out and see the example of radical self-denial. See the example of Christ-likeness to where it would inspire them to want to run hard for God. Because we all have the desire that every teenager in this church would experience God more than we ever have. And would run harder and faster and love God more than we ever have. That's my passion for our teenagers. I tell them all the time. I love God a lot. A lot. And I want to grow to love him more and more every day. And I want you to outdo me. We should want that for one another We should all have that heart for our teenagers. So many of you have have taken a burden for the teenagers through the years in this church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for reaching out, connecting with them. Thank you for your display and your readiness of the gospel. That we would have children right over there on the other side of that wall. Hearing the gospel every week. And what pastors are sitting over there. And what missionaries are sitting right over there. That we would be a church for all ages. The second way that I mean that is that we will be a family forever in heaven. Forever. So let's not wait till heaven for God to fix our attitude toward one another. Let's do that now and experience the fullness of what God has for us. And then rejoice that he did that forever in heaven. Let's stand up together and go before the Lord. We have a need this morning. We have a need to see you through with eyes of faith and experience the reality of your greatness in our hearts. God, we need to know the gospel again. We need to be reminded of the gospel and we need to cherish the gospel yet again. God, that you, in your love and your grace, sent your only son to die for our sins. Jesus, that you came and you took our place.
You experienced hell so we wouldn't have to. You experienced separation from the Father so we could have life and be joined to Him for eternity. Holy Spirit, make these truths big and bold in our hearts, in our minds. May the love that we've experienced from you be our motivation to love one another. May it be our motivation to be a family, your family, Father, your family. Jesus, thank you for what your death has purchased for us to experience. We want it all. We want it all. So Lord, I ask for a fresh faith for everybody in this church. If they are, if they're sensing you, if they're new and they're sensing, I'm thinking this might be where God has me. Lord, now would you well up faith in their hearts? God, would you well up faith in those that have been here a long time and kind of just gotten used to things? Even in a new church, they're just kind of used to how church is done. Lord, blow your wind, your gift of faith through us that we would respond and humble ourselves and be vulnerable with the people that we're walking with. That we would not keep any secrets anymore. But you would bring it to light because we love the light more than we love the darkness. God, would you, would you cause us to be your family in every way. Let's sing this song together. Church families have been singing for over a hundred years. Enjoying God's grace together and looking forward to the day that we stand before him in his presence.